Welcome to another great message at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. Many today are searching for some super secret to self-fulfillment, to success. And in this book of Philippians that you're studying right now, uh, Paul actually writes about a very significant secret. And it's the secret of contentment. And contentment, let me just give you a simple definition, is inner fulfillment. It's an inward satisfaction. It's internal peace and joy. Now, I'm going to read in uh, Philippians 4 about that secret of contentment. But before I read the scripture, let me give you my title and explain the title. So, the title of my message is Contentment Classified. You know, Paul writes about the secret of contentment. And when information or documents are officially designated as secret, this information is called classified. And it has limited access. So what I'm sharing with you this morning is classified information. And you have access to it. And you can choose whether you want to know and and apply this. So I thought the word uh, classified would appeal to those who like spy movies and all the secret things. Classified, clandestine, confidential, concealed, covert, cloak and dagger stuff. But there's another reason why I chose the word classified. Because when you take uh, a list of things and you classify it, or, or you put it in classes or categories, you actually say, I classify these things. You know, like the classified ads in the newspaper. So again, I think this will appeal to a different kind of cl- crowd that, who might be looking for useful junk in the newspaper classified ads. So what I want to do... and And I always find this a a favorite way of teaching for me. I don't just want to give you the real thing. I want to give you the fake, the false concepts that people might have. So I'm going to classify contentment in two categories. True contentment, as the Bible describes it, and then false ideas of contentment that the world may offer you. So uh, read with me from Philippians 4. Just a few verses from verse 11 onwards, and I'm reading out of the New English Translation. Paul says here at the end of verse 11, I have learned to be content in any circumstance. I have experienced times of need and times of abundance. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of contentment. Whether I go satisfied or hungry, have plenty or nothing, I am able to do all things through the one who strengthens me. Now, what immediately caught my attention is that in this short passage, the word learned is used twice. Paul says here in in verse 11, and and there are two different Greek words that are used here. I'm not going to bother you with those words, but he says in verse 11, I have learned to be content. The word that he uses here is a verb that is related to the word disciple, because to be a disciple is to be a learner. Now, what 
Paul says to us here, it's clear that he learned contentment as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus. Because contentment is not a place. Contentment is not a position. Contentment is not possessions. Contentment is a process of following Jesus. And here's what, he, what he's saying, and I want you to remember this key word. It's uh, learning through relationship with a master. It's following the example of Jesus and heeding to his instructions. Then in verse 12, look at that. He again uses the word learned in English, but it's a different Greek word. And here he says, I've learned the secret of contentment. And there's actually just one Greek word for learning the secret. And it's a word that comes from the root word for mystery. And it's learning through discovering what a mystery is about. Paul discovered and learned the secret of contentment. And the key word here is revelation. Because it's through revelation from the Holy Spirit as he gives you illumination from God's word. You see, that's what makes Bible secrets unique to anything else. It's, you don't find the, the uncovering of the secret by going through the Bible and looking for some formula. It's relationship and revelation. That's what it's about. So we learn through relationship and through revelation with the help of the Holy Spirit and obviously God's inspired word. This is my prayer that uh, today will be just a channel of God's revelation about contentment to you. And it's in that, that relationship with Jesus that you can learn this. Now, I was so, so glad when uh, Adrian and I had uh, communication about this. He sent me a voice note and he said, uh, the words that I, that I am going to share with you that I had in my sermon already. So that was such confirmation. Verse 13 of Philippians 4 is most of the time read or, or spoken out of context. Because we need to see that it's in the context of contentment. That verse 13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So in the first place, it's Christ who enables me to understand the mystery of contentment. And then secondly, it's only when I've learned that secret of contentment from him that I can do all things through him. Wow. That puts a totally different spin on it. So I want to encourage you. Our father is a revealer. He wants to reveal secrets to you. He wants you to learn this vital, significant secret of contentment. And you can discover this uh, as you study God's word and as you journey with, with Jesus. So there are a few practical things, principles that you can practice on the outside that will actually strengthen that inward uh, uh, force in you. And here's the first thing that you can do, very practical. Appreciate what you have. That's so simple, but it's so profound. Here's another translation of uh, Philippians 4.11, the contemporary English version. Paul says, I'm not complaining about having too little. I have learned to be satisfied with whatever I have. Can I remind you, this is one of the prison letters. Can I remind you that this was written from prison? And he says, I'm satisfied. I'm content. 
Now, I want to be very clear about this. Be content with what you have, but never be content with what you are. What do I mean by that? Well, let me qualify that. Be content with who you are because God made you. Don't try to be someone else. But don't be content with what you are. In other words, don't be comfortable about where you are at in your level of development. And especially your level of spiritual growth. You need to keep on growing and keep on changing. There is something like divine discontent. And that is being dissatisfied with any deficiency in developing spiritually. And divine dissatisfaction is the seed for transformation. God cannot transform what you tolerate. (laughs) So you need to have that divine discontent. I like what Augustine of Hippo said. He was a 5th century theologian in North Africa. He said, if you would attain to what you are not yet, you must always be displeased by what you are. For where you are pleased with yourself, there you have remained. Keep adding, keep walking, keep advancing. Wow. So be content with what you have, but keep on to contend for greater maturity, deeper intimacy, and better efficiency. Now let me give you that false, or one of the false concepts of contentment that the world has. Contentment is not complacency. Because sometimes people become complacent, and this is the world's idea of of contentment. So we need to keep on growing. And and I want to add to this. If you want to appreciate what you have, be thankful for what you have. Don't misunderstand me. I believe with all my heart God wants to bless us. I believe God wants to prosper us, but don't walk around with childish displeasure when you do not get what you want. Say amen, say aina, say aish. Say something because it's true. And it's a fact. We may not have everything that we want, but we have more than what we deserve. (laughs) Because what we have is by His grace. Be thankful. Dwight L. Moody, famous American evangelist, said this, Be careful for nothing, prayerful for everything, thankful for anything. And this is what what Paul says in Philippians 4 and verse 6. He says these words, Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. With thankful hearts, offer up your prayers and requests to God. Paul often says, give thanks, give thanks. Can I encourage you? If you don't have anything to give, give thanks. (laughs) Amen. I like these words written by Matthew Henry, the famous uh, English theologian, Bible commentator. He was robbed one day, and on that day, he wrote these words in his diary. Listen to this. Let me be thankful. First, because I was never robbed before. (laughs) Second, because although they took my wallet, they did not take my life. Third, (laughs) because although they took all I had, 
it was not much. <laughs> and fourth, I'm thankful because it was I who was robbed, not I who robbed. <laughs> How amazing is it that you can always find something to be thankful. Don't be an ungrateful ingrate. Have an attitude of gratitude all the time. Second practical thing that you can do. Value the simple but vital things in life. Contentment has a roommate. <laughs> it's called simplicity. They live together. You know the acronym K-I-S-S. -S. Keep it simple. Saints. That's such a lesson for us. You know, and, and, and Jesus said that we must come like children to enter into God's kingdom. And here's the important thing. When you enter the kingdom, remain childlike. Don't become childish, but remain childlike. Again, here's a wrong concept about this roommate of contentment. The world has this wrong idea. Simplicity is not simple-mindedness. Simplicity is not being overly simplistic. It's being childlike. I like the scripture in 1 John 2, verses 15 and 16. It's written in modern vernacular, but here's what the Living Bible says. Stop loving this evil world and all that it offers you. For when you love these things... You show that you do not really love God. For all these worldly things, these evil desires, and then he names them, the craze for sex, the ambition to buy everything that appeals to you, and the pride that comes from wealth and importance, these are not from God. They are from this evil world itself. Wow. That's the world we're living in. You know what? Sometimes I get so mad because when you drive around, you just see billboards and advertisements all over. I think we don't just have air pollution, we have ad pollution. And everybody is competing for your choices. And we have so many choices today, it really makes our life complicated. I read this, and this is long ago, before the year 2000, I found these statistics that in the USA, people could choose every day from 180 different kinds of breakfast cereal, over 120 kinds of yogurt, and more than 550 kinds of coffee. I think it, those statistics are, are so out of date. So sometimes I think we are suffering from decision overload. And we need to keep it simple. It's said that a prisoner has to make less than 20 choices a day. People on the outside, 120 plus at least. For instance, when you have a meal in prison, you only have two choices. Take it or leave it. And we, we are exposed to so many things, and we lose the simplicity. I love what, what Luke writes about in the book of Acts about the church in the early days. It says they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. That's what we need. 
And I want to say this. God with a little is a lot. And a lot without God is nothing. So we need to appreciate those little things. Uh, 1 Timothy 6 and verse 6 says, True godliness with contentment is in itself great wealth. Wow. Psalm 37, verses 16 and 17, David says, It's better to be godly and have little than to be evil and rich. And because of the spiritual riches that we have in Christ, we need to appreciate those basic things in life and value even the small things. Let me say this, and here's another facet of contentment. It consists not in sumptuous wealth, but in simple wants. And your spiritual wealth should help you to learn to appreciate a little a lot. Listen to, to Philippians 4 and verse 12 again from the message this time. Paul says, I'm just as happy with little as with much, with much as with little. And, and very interesting, if you go and study the book of Proverbs, uh, uh, Solomon all the time has these contrasts between little uh, with something good and much with something that is not that good. Listen, let me just give you a few scriptures here. Proverbs 16, 8. Better to have a little with righteousness than to have abundant income without justice. Proverbs 15, 16 and 17. It's better to obey the Lord and have only a little than to be very rich and terribly confused. Verse 17, a simple meal with love is better than a feast where there is hatred. So really, here's what he's saying. It's better if you only have Brussels sprouts and broccoli with righteousness than to have bird's nest soup, bluefin tuna, and black truffles. All those fancy things. Proverbs 17.1, better to eat a dry crust of bread with peace of mind than to have a banquet in a house full of trouble. Wow. There's a very interesting word in, in Afrikaans in, that we use in South Africa. We talk about patkos. You know, and, and the dictionary has to explain that snacks and provisions for a journey. Well, it's literally road food. Not roadkill, road food. And I, I remember the holidays that we used to have before we had these smart cars and, and roadside restaurants. And, and Cora would pack patkos, flask of hot coffee, cold fricadels, burrabors, hard-boiled eggs, soggy tomato sandwiches. And, and, and you know, I probably shared this with, with you before. If you want to treat me, give me a soggy tomato sandwich. Not because of the taste, but because of the memories that it evokes. Family. And that's so important. And, and, and I want to say this to you. Don't wait until your life is without tests and trials and troubles before you are happy. Appreciate those simple but those valuable things. Enjoy life. Appreciate your family. Value your friends. Here's the third very practical thing and such an important one. Escape the greed trap 
It's such a trap. I, let me say it again, I do believe prosperity is scriptural, but so is contentment. And the problem is, again, this is a wrong concept. The world equates contentment with poverty and insufficiency. Billy Graham said it this way. He said, there's nothing wrong with men possessing riches. The wrong comes when riches possess men. Interesting, go and read the parable, or, well, not the parable, for me it's, it's the account of the rich man and Lazarus, and, and Jesus, uh, according to the words of Abram, spoken to the rich man, he calls what he had in life good things. Nothing wrong with having possessions, but don't let the possessions own you. We know the scripture in 1 Timothy 6, here from verse 6. He says, godliness with contentment is great gain. And then in, in verse 8, he says, having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, the greed trap. And into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. And then he says these words that are often quite quoted incorrectly because people say money is the root of all evil. No, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And then he speaks about greediness, people that have strayed from the faith. Hebrews 13, 5, stay away from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never, never fail you, nor forsake you. You know what will be a good exercise for you? You need to distinguish between a need, a want, and a greed. And if you, if you want to know what the Bible says about that, let's start with needs. Philippians 4, 19. My God will supply your every need according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. What about my wants, my desires? Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And what about greed? Here's what Jesus said, Luke 12, 15, beware God against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. And then the book of Julio, Julio Ecclesiastes. <laughs> Ecclesiastes 6, 9, Solomon says this. <laughs> it's better to be content with what the eyes can see than for one's heart to always crave more. This continual longing is futile like chasing the wind. Greed is an insatiable monster. And greedy people are like sponges. They selfishly suck up as much as they can without giving anything until they are squeezed. You know, greed is like a plague that could cause people to, to suffer from strange diseases. I, <laughs> I want to share some things that I, um, that, that I kind of put together. It's, it, some weird composite diseases using what we refer to as portmanteau words. And a portmanteau word 
is a blending of the sound and the meaning of two existing words into a new word. And here's the first disease that greedy people suffer from, affluenza. And obviously it's affluence and influenza combined. What is this? It's a materialistic virus causing inflammation of possessions and position. Here's a second one, mammonitis. Combination of mammon and meningitis because it's a fortune fever which affects your brain, your thinking, and your nervous system. Here's another one, pneumonia. It's an illness that results in shortness of breath due to chasing after money. <laughs> and then this one, and I'm sensitive to the seriousness of the pandemic. COVID-19. <laughs> what is that? It's a grave disease that could be contracted from grabbing filthy lucre. <laughs> and the figure 19 could increase exponentially with a degree of greed. <laughs> so watch out for that trap of greed, that pitfall, pitfall. Next principle, very practical. Keep away from comparison. Don't compare yourself. The enemy of contentment is comparison. I want to put it this way. Counter forces of contentment are comparison and competition. And I could add covetousness, complaining, and a lot of other things. So here's how the world often sees contentment. False ideas. Contentment is not the apathetic absence of ambition. Contentment is not being lazy, lethargic, or apathetic. Contentment is not passively accepting mediocrity. And here's what Paul says, again, in the letter of Philippians, uh, chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition. Some translations use the word rivalry, competition, or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. And then he says, let each of you look out, not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. So we need to have strong divine aspirations. We need to have godly ambitions. But don't let it become a selfish, power-hungry, glory-hankering drive. Let it be a sincere striving to live a God-pleasing life of serving others. That's what it's about. And don't classify or compare yourself. Paul warns against that. Comparison is when you appraise yourself against others to compete with them. Comparison is to measure with covetousness what you have against what others have. Comparison is to weigh up your situation with envy against the circumstances of others. What we need to do is compare ourselves with what Christ wants us to be. Amen. And again, let me come back to the wisdom of Solomon, Proverbs 24, 19. He says, don't envy the wicked. Don't covet his riches, for the evil man has no future. Chapter 14, verse 30. It's healthy to be content, but envy can eat you up. 
You know the expression, keeping up with the Joneses? Any Afrikaans-speaking people here? I'll give you a new version of that. Probeer bio by die boertas. You know, <laughs> so, uh, apologies to all the boertas, yeah. But, but here's... I, I often say this, we spend money that we do not have to buy things we do not need to impress people we do not like. And while I'm, I'm on Afrikaans this morning, there's one disease that I haven't met, mentioned. But they mentioned problem at the skull clear. It's not translatable, so we'll ask Pastor Adrian afterwards. So we should not compete against each other. We should complete one another. That's the biblical pattern for the church. We're not in competition with each other, and so we shouldn't compare ourselves with others. Next important practical principle, be generous. I said in the beginning, contentment is all about inner fulfillment. And it's very interesting that the Greek word used in uh, Philippians 4.11, the word contentment, literally means self-sufficiency. But here's the problem. The world has a wrong concept of that because contentment does not refer to self-centered, self-interest. That's the wrong understanding. Because Paul writes about this earlier in Philippians 2.4. He says, let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. And immediately after he wrote about the secret of contentment, Paul commends the Philippian believers for their generosity. Look at Philippians 4, verses 14 and 15 in the Passion Translation. It says, you've so graciously provided for my essential needs during the season of difficulty. For I want you to know that the Philippian church was the only church that supported me in the beginning as I went out to preach the gospel. You were the only church that sowed into me financially. So contentment and generosity go together because God is a giver and we should be givers if we want to be like that. If the love of money is the root of all evil, then I think the love of God is the root of all good. And God wants you to be like him, be a giver. Money was made for giving. Somebody said money is round so it must go around. Money is circular, so it must circulate. And, and, and we need to give with gratitude uh, and not hold on to our money with greed. We need to be generous. Let us stop loving things and using people and start loving people and using things. Amen. And you know, it's great if you leave money in your will to the church or to some charity or whatever, but, but somebody said that this was an American philanthropist. He said, he who gives while he lives also knows where it goes. <laughs> so be generous. Last important practical thing. Trust in the Father's provision. Trust God with a childlike faith because he's our Father. And he cares like a mother. 
Listen, what, what, what David writes in Psalm 131, verses 2 and 3, he says, and he speaks to God, he says, I'm humbled and quieted in your presence. That's contentment. Like a contented child who rests on its mother's laps. I'm your resting child, and my soul is content in you. And then he says, oh, people of God, your time has come to quietly trust, waiting upon the Lord now and forever. So, so I said that, that in verse 4, 11 of Philippians, Paul uses the word that literally means self-sufficiency. But uh, Paul uses it in a totally different way. It actually means a sufficiency within, and we need to trust God. The world thinks contentment is self-sufficiency. But contentment is trusting an all-sufficient God. Trusting God absolutely as your father, your provider, in his uh, adequate and abundant supply. So, contentment is not settling for what you have. It's not that. It's trusting in God's promises. And he will make his promises true. In Philippians 4.19, Paul continues here in Philippians, and he says, we read the scripture before, my God will supply. God is a supplier. He's Yahweh Jireh, our provider. He says, your every need according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. So the key is to trust in God's riches, not in yours. Greed is wrong, but fear is also wrong. Trust God. Discontent, dissatisfaction, distressed are actually not because of the lack of material things. It's because people do not trust the Lord to fill the void in their hearts. When Jesus has first place in your life, you will experience true fulfillment and contentment. And I want to conclude with this scripture in 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 8. And Paul says, God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency. Interesting. The word sufficiency here is the same word as contentment in Philippians 4. Sufficiency in all things at all times. That you may abound in every good work. Now, please allow me to modify this verse. Because I, I want to emphasize the full meaning of the Greek language Paul uses here. Um, so this is an unauthorized version of St. Mark. Listen to this scripture. God is able to make all grace superabound to you, you cheerful givers, so that you, having all sufficiency and contentment in all things at all times, you may superabound in all good works. Hallelujah. So contentment is not becoming the devil's doormat. It's faith in the Father's provision. And that makes the content Christian victorious. I hope that you will allow the Holy Spirit to take you on this journey of learning the secret of contentment. I want to challenge you Keep on walking with Jesus. Keep on growing in God's word. 
so that these things can become a reality.